Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's open up our Bibles to Matthew in chapter 10. And as we've been going through Matthew chapter 10, uh, for those of you that have been with us, uh, I know that uh, you understand that we are doing a deep examination of the apostles. And what we're doing is we, we're reviewing the lives of the twelve. If you haven't been with us or this is, uh, or you've, been, you've missed attending services in the last few weeks, we're doing a deep examination on every single apostle. The men that were called, the, what they became, and through all of this, really learning much about the men that God selected. We're beginning to see and understand their character. And, and one thing is, is that we can all relate to these men. Whether you're a man or a woman, we can all relate to their characters. And I want you to know this, all of the apostles, understand this, they were not all born saints. They were not all born as spiritual giants. All of these men were weak, all of these men were unholy, all of these men were wicked. But when the Lord got a hold of their hearts, when He poured out the Spirit of God into their lives, they became amazing men working for God. And this is what the Lord wants to remind us of. He wants to remind us of one thing as we go through these men, as we examine the, these two men that we're going to look at today, as he tells us in Philippians 1 6, he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There is a work that is going on in each and every one of us. Many times we get upset with ourselves, right? Because we are not where we want to be. We want to be better. Every single one of us want to be better. We know we're not there. And the reason we come to church, right, is, is to be encouraged by the Word of God, is to allow the Word of God to work in us. We want to become better people because we're not satisfied with who we are. I don't think any of us are satisfied. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. I'm far from being satisfied. But we know that it is a sanctification process. And the sanctification process takes time. And sanctification process is really a process of becoming more like Jesus. That's how simple it is. If you want to know what, what's happening in your life right now, you are becoming more like Jesus. And every single one of us, we must be moving forward. We must be improving. And if you're not moving forward, or if you're not improving, then I'm going to share this with you. You are backsliding. And this is what God wants to remind us of today. He wants us to know that we have to be moving forward. If we see ourselves going backwards or back to the same lifestyle that we had before Jesus, then guess what? You're backsliding and today's a perfect time to repent of that. And to get, you know what, to, to move forward and to be reignited with a passion for Jesus. You know, this is what God wants in us. He wants us to continue to, to be excited about Him, to be excited about His Word. To know that when we come to church that God Himself is speaking directly to us. These are His words. These are not mine. I'm only a mouthpiece of what He wants to share with you. He wants to share His grace and His mercy. He wants to show, tell you that He wants to bless you beyond your imagination. He wants to just shower you with His gifts. This is the type of Father that we serve. This is the type of God that we serve. You know what? Our heart and our mind should be fixed on walking in obedience. You know what obe obedience proves? It proves your faithfulness. And your love for God. And not only that, as we, as we seek obedience, as we walk in obedience, understand this. 
is that obedience will bring blessing upon your life. This is what's so awesome. If you want to know how to be blessed by God, it's becoming obedient to Him. Who wants the blessings of God? We all want the blessings of God. Every single one of us wants the blessings of God. And it's so simple. The simplicity of the gospel is that, you know what? If you're obedient to God, then He can't help but bless you. The blessings just fall upon us. And this is what's so awesome about God. You know what? For me, I want to share this with you. I want to show Him that I love Him. And the way to show Him that I love Him is by obeying His Word. I want to glorify God. I want to share that with you. As I'm, I want to live my life to glorify God. And I want this. I want to go to that Bema seat one day. You know, when it's God's timing to give me my last breath. And to take me out of this world into the heavenly places. And when the rapture of the church happens. And we're all there on the Bema seat. When I go on that Bema seat. I want to hear the words from Jesus Christ, well done. I want to hear the words from Jesus Christ. I want to hear the, the, the rewards that He has for me. I want to hear it all. See, I live with an expectancy of good things from God. But it all depends on me. It all depends on us. It really does. It doesn't depend on anyone else. It doesn't depend on your wife or your spouse or your children or your parents. It's all up to us. And this is what's so amazing about all of this because what we see in these men is we see these men that were just diamonds in the rough. And when God chose them, just like us, He begins to polish us. And He begins to just reveal just how precious we are, the jewels that we are. You know, when we, as we look at these apostles, I want, you to sh I want you to know this. Next week, we will finish the series on the men that God calls. Today, we're going to talk about Thomas and Matthew. And next week, we'll finish on the rest of the, the disciples and on Judas Iscariot. There's not much on the remaining disciples. We're going to spend most of our time probably on Judas Iscariot. Because the other ones, we don't have enough information to talk about. But we do have these final two today where we're going to spend this whole sermon on examining both Thomas and Matthew. And the reason we do it this way is because we are going in the order that was given to us here by Matthew. So as we look at Matthew chapter 10, as we read in verse 2 there, it says this. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, here they are, James the son of Alphaeus and Labaeus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So as we see there, right, in verse 3, we have Thomas and Matthew. We've examined every single one of the apostles prior to these. And we've, given, we've done a detailed, a deep examination of these men. And so we begin with Thomas first because he's listed before Matthew. So when we look at this, I want you to know this. When we look at Thomas... We all know Thomas. Thomas is an extremely famous apostle, right? I think we all know Thomas, right? What, and I'm going to ask this of you. What is Thomas known by? What is his nickname or what is the noun that goes before his name? Doubting Thomas. You're absolutely right. See how famous he is? Every single one of us know Doubting Thomas. We've called people Doubting Thomases, right? But I want to share this with you. Thomas has received a bum rap. Because as we examine his life, you will see that he is in no way a doubting Thomas. 
And you're going to see this for yourself. When you walk away as we spend our first portion on Thomas, you will walk away knowing and understanding Thomas in a different, with a different mindset. You know what? When we look at Thomas, the one that wrote about Thomas, the one that brought Thomas to life is John the Apostle. Just like John the Apostle brought Philip and Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel. If it wasn't for John, we wouldn't know these men. We wouldn't know their character. We wouldn't know details about them. When you look at Matthew, Mark, and, uh, and Luke, these three writers, all they gave us was the name of Thomas. They didn't give us any other details. We get these details. We get the understanding of Thomas from John the Apostle. And like we began with all the others, we begin with their name. What does their name mean? Because see, when we look at the names of the Jews, they were given their names because that's what they represented many times. Just like when Jesus named Simon Peter because he wanted him to be the rock. He wanted him to be stable and reliable, something that he wasn't before Christ. But that is what he became. So when we look at Thomas, one thing about Thomas is his Jewish name was Thomas. In the Greek, it was Didymus. And I want you to know what his name means. His name means twin. Okay? So when you know that his, name is, that his name means twin, so that means that he would have been a twin, right? If they named him Thomas, if they named him Didymus in the Greek, then he would have been a twin. So who was his twin? And one thing I want you to know this about Jesus, when he chose his apostles, remember, he chose a lot of brothers. Remember the brothers that he chose? He chose Andrew, uh, Peter and Andrew. He, cho- he chose James and John. And so when you look at Thomas, is it possible that, that, that he would have chosen another twin? On, of, of, of the, uh, I should say another twin. Could a twin have been one of the twelve? Many people have said that, you know what, that Matthew would have been his twin. I don't believe that one, but I just want to give you some of the thoughts that are out there, that Matthew would have been his twin, because Thomas and Matthew are always joined together, just like Peter and Andrew, just like James and John, they're always combined together. So they thought to themselves, well, maybe Matthew was his brother. I'm going to give you another thought, and I believe this one is very ridiculous. Some people say that Thomas would have been the twin of Jesus. I doubt that. We know that that Mary didn't have twins, but I wanted you to know what the thoughts are out there. But I want to give you one from an early historian of the church his name is eusebius and many of us have heard of him i've quoted him many times but this is what he says of thomas he says that thomas was not his real name but his real name was judas and not to be confused with judas iscariot or the stepbrother of jesus they gave him the name thomas so there's another thought but one thing we know is he probably was a twin Okay, otherwise he wouldn't be called a twin. And so, who his twin is, I'll share this with you. When you meet him in heaven, you'll know. Okay? So now let's talk about his occupation. Okay? One thing about the occupation about Thomas is that we really don't know. But I do believe that as we look at John 21 verse 2, it reveals to us really what his occupation is. Because when it comes to Thomas, we don't have any background on Thomas. All we have is what's written about him when he speaks. But apart from that, we really don't have anything else. But John, in John 21, gives us an example or gives us the names of the fishermen. And here in John 21, verse 2, 
And what I mean by fishermen is those that were apostles that had the occupation of fishermen. In 21.2, in the Gospel of John, it says this, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. What John wants to do is he wants to give us insight on these men that went back to their old occupation after the death of Jesus Christ. They were discouraged, and so a lot of them went back to doing what they used to do. And so not truly understanding or, or seeing Jesus in his res, uh, resurrected body, a lot of these men went fishing. They went back to their old occupation. And as I named all of these, there are seven that are listed. So you can see there that seven of the twelve apostles were actually fishermen. And you can see there that Thomas is the second one there. Thomas called a twin. He actually went back to his occupation. I want to talk now about the calling, because that's what I've been doing with all of these men. I've been talking about their name, their occupation, and their calling. When it comes to Thomas, we're not given much info on, on the calling of Thomas. We know one thing is that Jesus prayed for all of his disciples before he called them. Remember, he, he asked God the Father. He asked them for insight and confirmation as to who the twelve were to be. And so for Thomas, we don't have the documentation or, or, or his calling documented for us. But one thing we know is that he was called. He was called by Jesus. And so with that, let's now move into his character. Okay? And as we jump into the character of Thomas, we're going to see this as we examine three scriptures. And you're going to see for yourself that he is far from a doubter. The first one we're going to look at is from John chapter 11, verse 16. And it says there, Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us all go that we may die with him. I want to give you some info on here because when you read this, you're probably thinking, well, what is he talking about? How many of us are, fam are, are familiar with Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha? I think many of us are. We know that Jesus brought Lazarus from the dead, right? And this event, when, John, when uh, Thomas says this, he says this because Jesus had told his disciples that we're going to go to Lazarus who has died. And I want you to know this about the location where Lazarus was. See, Lazarus lived in Bethany. And Bethany is two miles east of Jerusalem. And by this time, the apostles knew that if they were to go back to Jerusalem... Guess what was awaiting them in Jerusalem? Death. See, by this time, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the religious people, they wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to stone him. So the apostles knew that if we go back to Jerusalem, guess what? We're awaiting there. We're awaiting our death. And so when you look at, at, uh, at Thomas, he's far from a doubter, right? To think that, you know what, that this man... This man is, is willing to, to die for Jesus. He's believing in Jesus, right? And he's willing to go to Jerusalem to die. And he's actually encouraging all of the apostles. He's taking a front lead here. He's, he's pretty courageous to say, hey, guess what? All of us, let's go to Jerusalem and let's die with him. Does this sound like a doubter? Does this sound like somebody that would doubt Jesus Christ? He's willing to die for him. Understand this. He found his Lord. 
And one thing that he never wanted to be separated from Jesus. He didn't want to be separated from his new master. His love for the Lord was so deep that he was willing to die for him. This is an example for all of us. Think of it. This is an example for us. Are we willing to die? You know what? Are we willing to be as Thomas? If placed in the situation, I know that I may sound like a pessimist, right? That we're all going to die for Jesus. But I want you to know one thing is that one of us may in this place. You know the way the world is going today, the way things are happening, right? One of us may be faced with the opportunity to die for Jesus. And I want to share this with you. Even though it sounds to be very pessimistic, it's also very real. And one thing about Thomas is that he was a realist. Even though he sounded like a pessimist, he was a realist. I want to talk now about the second time that Thomas is mentioned, just so that we can know how he is and who he is. And it's from John chapter 14, verse 5. And this is what it says of him. It says, Thomas said to him, meaning to the Lord, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? I want to give you insight as to why Thomas is saying this. Jesus began to teach the disciples. And this is actually the time when, when Jesus, after the time that Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, before Jesus was about to go to the cross, before he begins to talk about this place that, that he has prepared for his people, for his disciples, he speaks of Peter's denial. He tells Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And then uh, as, we, as he keeps talking, he, he talks about preparing a place for his people, preparing a place for his apostles. He talks about the mansions that are going to be in heaven. I can't wait for this, for us to see the mansions in heaven. And, and this is what Jesus is talking about. He's telling his, his disciples, his apostles, that you know what? I'm going to go prepare a place. I have a mansion for each and every one of you. And he assures them that they will be where he is. And where he goes, they will know the way. And so this is why Thomas asked the question, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? See, you begin to get a real sense of Thomas. You begin to get the sense of his heart, right? That he wants to be where Jesus is. He wants to know how to get there. I want you to know one thing about Thomas is that he was not a doubter, but he was a seeker. See, this is what's so awesome about Thomas, right? Is that he is a man that wants to know how to get to God. He wants to be where God is. He's, he's asking Jesus, I don't know where you're going, but I want to go there. How do we go? See, this is the same for us. You know what? One thing about what, what, what we see in Thomas is that he wanted to find he wanted to know about God. He wanted to know everything about God. And that's, that should be our heart. See, what's awesome about this is that, is that God desires for us to grow in Him. You know what? This is why for many of us, right, we come to Sunday services. We want to know about Jesus. We want to grow in Him. We go to midweek services, right, because we don't get enough. We want to know Him more. We want to grow in His grace. We want to grow in His knowledge. Some of us here attend our di- the discipleship classes, right? Because this is not enough. You have a higher calling. Your, your calling is, man, I want to know Him even deeper. I want to get rooted and grounded in my faith. I want to grow 
in Him. I want to be compassionate about Him. I want to know Him more than I've ever known. I want to be ignited by Jesus. I want my fire to just flame for Him. And so we do. We go, and some of us even go to school. Imagine that. And this is a process that I went through. I'll tell you this. You know what? I, I, I first got saved and then I sat and I was just being spoon fed and then I wanted more and then I went to school and then I graduated from school and, and you know what? And I went through discipleship classes. I went through all of this. Why? Because I wanted to know Him more. I have a passion for Jesus, right? And this is what you see in Thomas, right? You see a seeker here. And you have these, this instruction from Peter himself. Imagine, Peter tells us at the end of his second letter, to the people, he tells them this, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to know Him more. What's amazing about this is that the more you know Jesus, the more you know God, the more you will fall in love with Him. It's a fact. And this is why we're encouraged to do this. We're encouraged to grow in Him. You know, when we look at at this, I want to tell you this, is that as long as you're on this side of heaven, it is our desire to learn and to grow. But there's going to be a time, understand this, there will be a time when the work will end, when you will know and be like Him. And this is what John, the apostle, tells us in his first letter, John chapter 3, verse 2, where it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But when we know that when He is revealed, when you are in His presence, you shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. When you are in the very presence of God, imagine this, we will know things and we will be like Him. The work will be completed. This is what you call the glorified state. There are three states that we go in as believers. The first state is that justification, is that justified state. And this is when you believe in Jesus. This is when, when you are found now guilty for the sins that you have com, com, uh, committed. This is when you ask Jesus to forgive you. This is when you finally surrender your heart. You are now justified. And then you move into that second state that I talked about earlier. That sanctification state. And that sanctification state is, is becoming more like Jesus. Is that when you begin to see that transformation in you. When you're saying things and acting differently. And doing things differently and thinking differently. And becoming more like Jesus. This is called the sanctification state. And then when that's all over. And when we're in the presence of God. We are now in the glorified state. Imagine that. That's going to be an amazing time. When we will, be, when we will see Jesus for who He is. When we will see God the Father. When we will see the Spirit of God. When we will see all of our loved ones. All of the Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. When we will see all believers there. And we will all be worshiping God. Imagine that. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. Let's go now as we've got to keep moving on. To the third time that Thomas is mentioned. And he's mentioned in John chapter 20. Beginning in verse 24. And this is the event that tags Thomas as a doubter. Because he speaks and it's recorded that he has now been tagged forevermore here on earth as a doubter. I'm going to read this to you. It says here, beginning in verse 24. It says, Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, 
Imagine this, unless I see the, his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Imagine that. And this is why he's tagged as a doubter. And then it goes on to say, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it on my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. This is an amazing time. I want you to know this, that here, that Thomas is the only one that has ever been recorded as saying, my Lord and my God, meaning that he has identified the, uh, the, Jesus Christ as God and as his God. You know, when it comes to this, I want you to know this, when it comes to this time, what happened here was that after Jesus was crucified, what ended up happening is all the Jews were afraid. All the Jews, they were all fearful, right? Because you know what? They knew that all the religious people, they hated Jesus and they were going to go after the apostles. And so all the apostles went into hiding. They went into the rooms and into their homes and they shut the doors and they didn't want anyone to come in. And so Jesus, you know, Jesus goes to them to assure them so that they aren't afraid, so that they are not fearful. And imagine this, is that Jesus all of a sudden pops in before the disciples. Not all of them were there. We're not told which ones were there, but there was a few of them that were there. And he pops in. He just appears. It's like, you know what, like all of a sudden, imagine if Jesus just happened to appear here. It'd be amazing, right? But you would see Jesus. You would see his hands. You would be able to touch and feel Jesus. Imagine that, but he can go through doors. He can walk through walls. He can do all of that, right? And so this is why when he appears to them, they see the prints on his hands. They see the, prints on his, the, the nail prints on his, on his feet and on his side. And so they end up telling Thomas, guess what? We saw Jesus, right? And Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe until I see it. And why would he believe, right? Let me share this with you. None of the apostles believed that Jesus, uh, that Jesus rose from the dead. They were all like him, except his words are documented. Remember, none of the apostles believed because after Jesus died and was buried, remember Mary Magdalene and the, and the other women went there, right? And they went looking for Jesus. And they didn't find the body, so they came back to, told the, to tell the disciples. And they were all like, what? Someone stole the body of Jesus. So they all ran over there, right? Looking for the body of Jesus. They themselves did not believe. But yet, Thomas is the only one tagged as a doubter. But as we examine this, right, we're beginning to see that, you know what? It wasn't that he was a doubter. He's just like all of us. But God is so gracious. And let me share this. Because he knows that, you know what, that sometimes we need signs. Sometimes we need things, right, to believe in him. Sometimes we need answer prayers. Sometimes we need a healing to believe that, you know what, Jesus, you are real. And this is, he was gracious towards Thomas to say, okay, you know what? You need to believe in me, right? I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you the, the prints on my hands. I'm going to show you the print on my side and on my feet. 
And what's so amazing about this, right, as we think about this, is that Thomas, when he was saying this, Jesus wasn't present. But yet Jesus heard him because Jesus knows all things. And Jesus told him, come and feel, come and touch. You know, this body that Jesus had, I need to share this with you. Did you know that the body that Jesus has is the same body that we're going to have in heaven? How many of you, let me ask this, how many of you had pains this morning with your bodies? How many of you had pain last night? How many of you have pain right now? None of that is going to happen in heaven. Did you know that you're going to have the same glorified body that Jesus has? And there's going to be no more pain? It's going to be amazing, right? When do we get that body? Anybody want to answer that? When do we get the glorified body? The rapture of the church, absolutely. That's when you get the glorified body. Did you know that some of us are not going to taste death here? We see the world the way it is today, right? We see what's happening in our world. We know that Jesus can come at any day now. And did you know that if the rapture comes, meaning that once we hear the voice of an archangel and you hear that trumpet blow, that many of us are going to be carried into heaven, into the presence of God at the twinkle of an eye. And immediately our bodies will be transformed into these glorified bodies. What about those that died before? What about those that died today or tomorrow or before Jesus comes? What happens to their bodies? The, body, the, the, the Word of God tells us in 1 Thessalonians, right? Chapter 4, it says that, that even though their bodies have been made to ashes, that somehow God supernaturally brings these bodies together and gives us those glorified bodies. So they will be reunited with their bodies because today in heaven, all they have is their souls and spirits there before God. And yet we're all going to have these same type of bodies. Amazing. This is how, God, how good God is. God wants you to get a sense of how good He is, how gracious He is. When does a rapture happen? For us at Calvary Chapel, what do we believe? When does a rapture happen? Before or after the tribulation? Before absolutely right because god has not appointed us to wrath but to salvation that's what he tells us in first thessalonians so we believe these things right and we believe in the pre-trib we believe that it's going to happen before the great tribulation and we see the world just unfolding setting the stage for this time you know what one thing is is that thomas remember there was a time when the other disciples saw Jesus walking on water, right? And they confused him for a ghost. They said, oh, it's a ghost. And then Jesus said, it's not a ghost, it's me. So these same apostles are telling Thomas that, you know what, that we saw Jesus, of course. You know what, unless you guys messed up before, right? Wait, I want to see him. And then I'm going to believe. But one thing about us, I want you to know about you and I. We fit into an amazing category. Into an amazing category because look at what Jesus said after he spoke to Thomas. He said this, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You and I all fit into this category. You and I are in a special category of blessing already. Because we have believed even though we have not seen Jesus Christ. How does this make you feel? He's telling you right now that you are a blessed people. You will be blessed. And this is the goodness of God. The fact that we are walking by faith, not believing in somebody that we have seen, but in somebody that we have not seen. This is great faith. 
Even though it may, for many of us, doubt our faith, understand this, it's still enough faith to believe. I'm going to finally talk about his death. Okay, the death of Thomas. Tradition tells us about Thomas because none of this is documented. The only one that we know that has been documented or told of his final death was Peter, right? When the Lord says that this is how you're going to die. Apart from him, no one else, no other is documented in the Bible. So we go by tradition. And tradition says of Thomas. It says that he preached the gospel in Greece and India. And what he did is he angered a lot of the religious authorities. And because he angered the religious authorities, you know what they did? Is they got a spear and they threw it right through his body. And that's how he was killed. Imagine this. When you think of this, right? Thomas, remember what he said? Jesus, you know what? We're going to die for you. And Jesus, you know what? I want to know where you're at. You know, since Thomas didn't see Jesus, remember, he, he was away for eight days. He had set himself apart from the apostles. And it is said that he was so discouraged because he, it was... To him, you know what? He didn't die with Jesus. And secondly, he thought Jesus had left him, right? But now, to have the honor of being killed for Jesus. And to be killed also with a spear right through his body. Remember, I'm sure when that, when that went right through him, he was remembering the hand that he put on the side of Jesus. Imagine. You know what? Again, he tasted the death that he proclaimed earlier, and he was now in the presence of where the Lord was. Now let's move on to the next apostle. The next apostle is Matthew. As we did with Thomas, we're going to go over first his name. And when it comes to Matthew, I want you to know this. Matthew had two names. Matthew had two names, just like Simon and Peter. Simon was, uh, Peter was first called Simon. We also know that that Bartholomew also was known as Nathaniel. We also have, as we read there, Alphaeus, known as Labaius. It was very common for Jews to have two names. And the first name that, that uh, Matthew had before Jesus called him Matthew, his name was Levi. And I want you to know what Levi means. Levi means attached, adjoining. Okay? That's what it means. It means attached, adjoining. But when you look at the word Matthew, you know what the word Matthew means? It means gift of Yahweh. It means gift of God. Imagine that. So for those of you that know Matthews, that's what it means. It means gift of God. But one thing we know about Matthew is that Matthew was not always a gift of God. He wasn't such a gift. Matthew was an extremely sinful man. He was separated by God because of his sin. And I want you to know this, is that Matthew... Made a, he made a mess of his life. He made the choice to do this. And one thing about Matthew is that Matthew had deep regret. See, as we look at Matthew, before he came to know Jesus, I want you to know this, is that he's going to speak to many of us. I want you to know that he's going to relate to many of us. Because many of us, as we look at this, we find ourselves in a place of being apart from Christ. Because of life that is so scarred by sin. 
Okay, this was Matthew. Matthew was a man that was scarred by sin, a man that was separated from Jesus because of his sin. See, Matthew was a Jew, just like all the 12 apostles. In case you don't know, they were all Jews. They were all Jews, brothers, friends. They all knew one another. Just like many of us, right? When you got saved, who did you go tell? You told your family, right? And your family began to what? Come to serve Jesus with you. You told your friends, and your friends were serving with you. The same thing with Jesus. When he called the apostles, they were all serving Jesus, right? These were the 12 apostles. They were all friends. They were all, uh, uh, many of them were brothers. But let me share this about Matthew. Matthew, this man had a great conviction. He had a great conviction because of what he had become and what he was doing to his own people. This man was a disgrace to his family. How many of us can relate to being a disgrace to our family? Many of us, right? Show of hands. How many of us have been called a disgrace or a shame to your family? This is Matthew. See, his parents named him Levi. See, he was probably from the tribe of Levites, of the Levites. And who were the Levites? The Levites were, they came from Jacob's son, Levi, right? These, this was a priestly tribe. And we know that the parents had great, you know what, great thoughts. They had great hope for, Ma- for Matthew. They named the Levi, right? They were hoping that he would become a man of God, a man that served the people, but instead he betrayed his own people. He took on an occupation that he said, you know what, I'm leaving God behind and I'm going after money. And I don't care how I get that money. I don't care who I shame. I don't care what I do. I'm going after money and I'm putting Jesus behind. I want you to know this. When we make choices, we're just like Matthew. I want you to know this. When we make choices for sin, it inflicts great scars upon us as well upon others. When we start going into the wrong relationships, when we start choosing drugs and alcohol, it makes a mess out of us as well as those around us. When we start lashing out with envy and jealousy or pride, when we start loving money more than anything else, we start hurting people, we start hurting our families, we start hurting those around us. When we begin to to practice immoral sex, you know what, we start hurting our own bodies as well as others, right? Understand this, when we are selfish, when we have hate and anger towards others, believe me, these leave these scars in us as well as others. What about taking occupations just like the one of Matthew? Understand this, what about those that begin to sell drugs to make money? What about those that start selling their bodies to make money? You know what, these leave deep scars in us as well as others. But what's so amazing about all of this is the grace of God. It all speaks of the grace of God because the grace of God chose a man, a man that was shameful, a man that was a disgrace, and he chose him as an apostle. The same with us. Don't matter what your sin has been in the past. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. That None of that matters. If God gets a hold of your heart and he pours his spirit upon your life, he will transform you into a new creation. Just like he did with Matthew. Matthew is an inspiration for those that have messed up, that have made bad choices, that are ashamed, uh, shameful to their families. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about his occupation so we can get a good sense of this. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. 
And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. We can see here that Matthew was a tax collector. And why did Matthew become a tax collector? Because he had a love for money. He had a love for money. He loved money. This is what he wanted. He didn't care about betraying his people. He didn't care about taking a shameful occupation. He didn't care about being a disgrace to his family. He loved money. And look at what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6.10. As Paul tells us, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith in greediness. This was Matthew. He strayed from his faith. He was a man that was brought up in the scriptures, but he strayed from his faith because of his greed. And then look at what it says as Paul is so right on as he was inspired by God to say this. And pierced themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money brings sorrow into your life. Because you know, it, the love of money moves you to do things, to hurt people, to steal from people, to do whatever you can to get money. And this is what a tax collector was. A tax collector was dishonorable. Look at the category that tax collectors were in. Luke chapter 18 verse 11 says this. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as the tax collectors. The tax collector was in the category of adulterers, uh, extortioners, unjust people. This is the category that they were in. And they were considered as traitors. They were considered as dishonest people. They were extortioners. See, Rome hired these people. Rome hired Jews to collect taxes from their own people. And so these Jews served Rome. They, no longer, they didn't serve their people anymore. See, what they did is that when Rome took over Palestine, they wanted their share of taxes from all the Jews. And so they offered Jews the opportunity to buy franchises from the Roman government in order to collect taxes from the people and from their own people. And this is what Matthew did. He became a traitor to his own people and he started collecting taxes. And what Rome would do is, Rome would say, all I want you guys to do is collect this certain amount from your district. And so what they would do is they would collect that certain amount, but they would collect more, right, to pad their pockets. So they were taxing the people on everything. And this is why the Jews hated their own, the, the tax collectors because they were collecting more than they had to collect. And they were padding their own pockets. They were trading. They were traitors to their own people. And Matthew, Matthew stationed himself in the perfect place by the Sea of Galilee. He said, you know what? I could collect taxes from all the ships that come in with the goods. I could collect taxes from the people that come in to buy the goods. I could collect taxes from everybody. So this man made himself rich on people, on collecting taxes more than he had to. When we think about this, you think to yourself, how do I know they collected more than they had to? Because the Bible tells us. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 3, verse 12. It tells us that when John the Baptist was baptizing people, there was one that was there. The tax collectors would come and they would ask Jesus. They would say, what are we to do now? Look at what it says. And tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to John the Baptist, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what is appointed for you. He knew they were guilty of collecting more. There was another tax collector and we all know him, Zacchaeus. How many are familiar with Zacchaeus? He was that little tax collector, right? That people were so, tall, so much taller than him, right? And when Jesus would come, 
you know what? He couldn't type. He's screaming to Jesus and Jesus couldn't find him. So you know what he does? He climbs on a tree. And that's the only way that he could get the eyes of Jesus, right? He can see Jesus and he could talk to Jesus. And so he comes down and, and, and when, when Jesus calls him out, he comes down and he begins to share with Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, look, Lord, I gave half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken away from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. He knew that he was taking from the poor. He knew, I mean, he knew that he was overtaxing his people. And so he was giving them back. Zacchaeus also became a believer. These men were extorting by force, right? They were taking from people. And so you begin to see Matthew's sinful nature. And you begin to see how Matthew was, his occupation. But I want to share this because Matthew was in Capernaum. And in this area, this is where Jesus gave the famous Sermon on the Mount. And I want to share with you why. Because see, when Jesus said to Matthew, follow me, Matthew immediately followed him. Why would he do this, right? I mean, if he didn't know Jesus before, why would he immediately follow him? See, in Capernaum, in this area, understand this, is that Jesus was healing people. Jesus gave his sermon on the mount. And when Jesus was there giving his sermon on the mount, I truly believe that that's where Matthew was. And when, G- when Jesus gave this from Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where he said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money. Imagine if Matthew was there hearing these words. And remember this about Jesus. is He knew who he was going to choose as his apostles. So if Matthew was there, imagine this. And I truly believe that Matthew would have been present there. He would have looked at Matthew. And this is when he would have said this. You cannot serve God and mammon. Imagine this. See, Matthew was a man of great conviction. The condemnation upon Matthew was heavy. And he knew that his love for money had strayed him away from the faith. And it brought sorrows into his heart. Believe me, how many of us have a deep conviction of our sin? Before you came to know Jesus, before you surrendered yourself to Jesus, you came to Jesus because you had a deep conviction in your heart. You had this condemnation that was all over you. And you were just like, you know what? I can't take it anymore. I need Jesus. I need His forgiveness. Believe me, I was where you are. We're all the same. We're like Matthew. We're like the apostles. Every man is the same because we are sinners. There is none good, no, not one. And we know that we are sick because Jesus said, I came for the sick, not for the well. I didn't come for the righteous. If you think that you are righteous, I didn't come for you. I came for those that are sick. And believe me, we are all sick people. And if we admit that we are sick, then Jesus came for us. You know, when I came to know Jesus, understand this, is that I was deeply convicted of my sin. I was broken because of my sin. I hated myself because of my sin. You know, I hated what I did to my wife. I hated the adulterous relationship that I had. And it was just like heavy upon me. I couldn't stand myself anymore. I couldn't stand it. I hated myself. And I remember hearing the words from the preacher saying that, you know what, that Jesus forgives you of all things. That you know what, that He casts your sin as far as the east is from the west. That He takes your sin and He throws it in the ocean and He doesn't grab it anymore. 
I needed deliverance. I needed, I needed, I needed to be renewed and revived. I hated myself. I'm going to read to you something that relates to Matthew as it relates to me and it will relate to all of us. It's from Psalm chapter 38 beginning in verse 2. It says, For your arrows pierce me deeply and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my inequities have gone over my head like a heavy burden they are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are full of inflammation. And there is no soundness in me, in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Lord, all my desires before you. And my sign is not hidden from you. My heart pants. My strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it, it also has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague. And my relatives stand afar off. This is how we can relate. This is what David spoke. This is what Matthew felt. This is what I feel. This is what all of us feel. But the glimmer of hope for the sinners that God forgives. The glimmer of hope that we have is that God makes us brand new. That God takes what is old and He makes us brand new. He destroys the sinful nature and He gives us a new nature. And this is what Jesus does. And this is why Matthew, after he heard those words, or after he heard the words of that you cannot serve God and mammon, that when he heard these words, that immediately he left. He left all, he rose up and he followed Jesus. Matthew knew exactly what he was doing. He left a lucrative career to follow after Jesus. Matthew knew that he was a sinner. Matthew knew that he accepted the call of Jesus and he followed him. And I'm going to share this with you. When we make a choice for Jesus, when you know your sins are forgiven, we can relate to David when he says, Blessed is he. From Psalm 32, verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord does not impute inequity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. After this, you know what, Jesus, what Matthew did? After Matthew followed after Jesus, you know what he did? Matthew decided to have a party. Imagine this. Matthew had a great party. Matthew himself in his humility, because Matthew was a very humble man, but forever he wants us to know that he was a sinner. A sinner saved by grace. A sinner transformed by the love and the grace and the mercy of God. In Luke chapter 5 verse 29, Luke tells us the details of this party. It tells us that Levi gave him a great feast in his house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. You know who these other tax collectors were? They were sinners. They were all sinners. Nobody wanted to be around Matthew. Understand this. Nobody wanted Matthew, right? They all hated Matthew. Matthew was the well-known tax collector there in Capernaum. And nobody loved him. The only one that loved Matthew were the tax collectors and the sinners, right? Because they were all of one. And so they all go to the party. And why did Matthew, why did Matthew do it? Because he wanted to show them. This is who I am now. Look at what Jesus has done with me. We don't know how many of those tax collectors or sinners followed after Jesus, but I guarantee you this much, many of them did. Because our lives are testimonies. Our lives are epistles for Jesus Christ. When they see our transformed lives, they know that there is a God. 
this speaks of the grace of God. You know why? Because Jesus Christ was willing to attend a party where there was nothing but sinners and tax collectors. Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to go there. I'm going to be there. I have no issues there. I'm going to go and be with you. Imagine just knowing that Jesus went where Matthew asked him. Imagine the love that Matthew had for him. You know what? You're willing to be around us. I mean, you're like no other person. You're like no other God. You're, you're just so amazing. You're so awesome because there's no one else that loves us the way you love us. This is the grace of God. As sinners, know this, that God wants to renew you. God wants to forgive you. God wants to bless you. God wants to make you an, uh, just an amazing testimony of His grace. A trophy to be displayed for all people to see. And I'm going to share this. Speaking on Matthew, as we finish here, Matthew wrote this gospel. Imagine this. Matthew wrote an amazing gospel in A.D. 70. It is considered the most important book of Christendom for Christians. It is considered one of the most important books that have ever been written. And it was written by a man that was hated by many. It was written by a sinner. This is what God does in our lives. Imagine that. This is what God does in us. See, Jesus Christ knew that, you know what, Matthew had a talent. I gave Matthew a talent to write. I didn't force Matthew to write the gospel. But as the Holy Spirit came upon him, as the Holy Spirit infused the thoughts and the memories to recount everything that took place, Matthew lived up to his calling and he wrote this amazing book. Imagine that you and I have been chosen to do amazing works for God. We're just like Matthew, rejected by the world, rejected as sinners but yet given life, a renewed life by Jesus Christ. i got to tell you about his death. Tradition tells us that Matthew was martyred in Ethiopia, where he was supposedly stabbed in the back by a swordsman sent by King Herticus after he criticized the king's morals. Understand this. These men that I'm talking about, all of these men that I've been giving you, the, ex- the, the deep examination, they all walked, lived, and died for Christ and His righteousness. We're going to have communion now. And the Lord tells us that before we partake of communion, understand this, is that we got to be right. We can't take communion in an unworthy manner. We can't partake of communion if we are practicing sin or if, or if there's things within us that aren't right. So what I'm going to give you now is an opportunity to confess. I'm going to give you an opportunity now to make things right with Jesus. To allow the grace and the mercy to shower you. To make you brand new. To revive you. Reignite you for Christ. So I'm going to ask everyone's heads to bow and everyone's eyes to close. And I'm going to give you an opportunity now to receive Jesus. If this is you, before you partake of communion and you want to receive Jesus, you want the forgiveness of Jesus, I'm going to ask you now to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else before we partake of communion? Don't take it in an unworthy manner. If you're not going to confess, please do not partake. But if you want to partake with the rest of the body, it's time to confess. Anyone else before we... Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Lord, you, see these, you saw these hands that went up, Lord. Lord, to understand, you came for the sick, you came for the lost, you came for the sinner. 
We acknowledge that, Lord. And these that are raising their hands are acknowledging that they need to. And they're asking for your forgiveness. Lord, your mercy and your grace abounds. And we thank you for it. Lord, they're making you their master, their Lord. And they're asking you to renew them. Holy Spirit, come upon them and do great and wonderful works in and through them. Overflow from them. Move powerfully and may they seek obedience more than anything else. Obedience to you and to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Eternal God, unchanging, mysterious and unknown, your boundless love, unfailing, in grace and mercy shown. Bright seraphim in ceaseless flight Around your glorious throne They raise their voices day and night In praise to you alone Hallelujah
you know, as we are reminded of what the Lord has done for us. You know, the Lord never wants us to forget. He says, as long as you're on this side of heaven, as long as we are here on earth, don't forget what I've done on on the cross for you. As we talked about the piercings on his hands, on his feet, on his side. You know, this is what we're reminded of. He is the bread of life. And life only comes from him. Let us take of the bread. And he said that this is the cup of the new covenant. You know, this cup that we have here symbolizes the blood that was shed on the cross for us. And the word of God tells us that there is no forgiveness of sin unless there is a shedding of blood. And when Jesus Christ shed his blood, he met the holy requirements of God. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, in who he is, the fact that he is God, the fact that he shed his life for us, he gave his blood, he redeemed us and bought us with his blood, you will be saved. It is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is by grace, through faith, that we are saved. Aren't you glad it doesn't depend on us? Mm. When, he, when he was on that cross, he said, it is finished. He did the work. No one else needs to work. All we need to do is believe. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let us take. Amen. Well, praise God and... You know what, as we uh, rejoice in all that God is doing, let's just remember what God has done for us. Let us seek obedience and faithfulness to Him and only Him. Amen?